Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm joined as always by my co-host Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing buddy? I am doing so good. This was another really fun one. Uh, We had on Haley O.C. who's a comedian I just love and I've gotten to know her so much better over the past year which has been fantastic. Uh, She has brunch exclamation point at comedy web series and also the upcoming Ted Lasso uh, podcast called Team Lasso, uh, which I'm, I'm so excited to listen to and be on. So guys, please check that out as well. And she came to- Selfish plug on your part, but go on. I mean, yeah. Well, I figure if they like me, they're probably going to like her. <laughs> I mean, she's fantastic. This is the first time I, I met her uh, shortly before we started recording, and I am a huge fan. I yeah. know her Twitter, uh, Milfweed with two with three E's. Yeah, that's the one. Three E's. Uh, and she's hilarious. And I'm so glad she came on uh, to talk about reality shows. It was a fascinating deep dive because it does have a very weird history going back to game shows and cheating scandals and basically documentaries that were super bummers uh, and then <laughs> somehow developed into competition shows and just yelling chefs and famous people where you're not quite sure who they are or why they're famous. It was just a, an amazing history. Not only that, but I got to find out, and guys, you're going to oh find out about Lance Loud, Lance Loud. my new favorite my new favorite character in history. It's Lan- Lance Loud. I mean, cannot say enough. This was, <laughs> didn't even plan to talk about him. And then we've got like a solid 10 minutes on Lance Loud from the very first, what could be considered reality TV show from 1973. Then in the band, the, the mumps and so much more that you got to listen to, to find out about. You him. had one line about him. And then we all had to go to Wikipedia and read his entire life story. And that's all we talked about for a good chunk of this yeah. episode. <laughs> and it is beautiful. Please, uh, you guys are going to love it. So let's get into it. Let's go. Haley OC, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk about where things went wrong. I know. And there's a lot. A whole podcast worth we found out. Apparently. We're still no. going. We're... What podcast? <laughs> Can you tell me the name of it? Like we're in a movie where they say the name of it? <laughs> I hate that we can't turn to the camera while we say it. I know. <laughs> it's no, it turns out pretty much everything went wrong at some point, but you had a really good idea for today. What did you want to talk about? Oh, yes. The subject being reality television, where it 
killed the game and where it went absolutely wrong and almost destroyed many nations. Hyperbolically. <laughs> I know the exact nation that was destroyed. <laughs> A child's. <laughs> Child. Kid Nation. Oh, God. <laughs> we, we have a lot of insane stuff to cover here. <laughs> and Kid Nation is absolutely one of them, which was not a show I was even familiar with. And then it was one of the things where I looked it up and it was like, is the entire internet punking me? This this can't actually exist. But we're going to get into that the where it went wrong side. Let's start with some positives because this is something that can be enjoyed. <laughs> Oh, it's enjoyed. It's enjoyed. Yeah. I like I like garbage. I like like me and my wife will sit down and we will watch shitty reality shows with no shame. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm excited about this topic. This is no like this is no shame on the people who watch reality reality TV, not the consumers, but rather the creators, if anyone. Absolutely, because I I, I get a lot of the appeal, but what was interesting about this when I started trying to find some numbers on this. Obviously, there's there's a quick turnaround of cheaper production. You don't need to hire writers or anybody who knows how to do this professionally, except for an editor. You need a great editor. So because of this, 2015 FX did some research. They announced there were 409 scripted series across broadcast networks, cable, and online services. There were also around the same number of unscripted series just on broadcast network and cable, not even including anything on the internet. And then in 2016, there were 750 unscripted series just in cable, just in prime time. I mean, it just absolutely blew up the number of shows being watched here. And despite the fact that it's pulling in enough viewers for this, it is the only genre where more people say they dislike it than like it. It had a negative three points in its rate. Like comedy genre had 83 points. Almost everyone likes comedy. Apparently 17% of people don't. But this is one of the most watched things out there. They have 750 shows just between 8 and 10 p.m. <laughs> so this is the genre that everyone claims to dislike, yet it continue they keep making more shows because people keep watching them is this masochistic or is it enjoyable and people don't want to admit it mm, i think a lot of viewers have a semi uh, stockholm syndrome in it because I, I hear people who love reality television even talk about like god i hate it so much and i'm like but you're watching it every second of your day right. how do you hate it this much <laughs> why would you put on something on the tv for 10 hours that you hate like, right you, there are good shows you can watch those Haley, you got a ted lasso podcast <laughs> coming up because ted lasso is a really good show. It's, it's a such a good show. show and my friends want me to stop talking about it all the time. They said I need a second hobby so I'm starting a podcast. I do just love the concept that it was friends saying you have to stop talking about this. Start a podcast. It was. <laughs> it's No, stop talking about it. Talk about it more is the logic behind podcasts. Well, they would just like talk to anyone except us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get fabulous guests to come on and talk about it. Just please do not tell me any more about Jason Sudeikis's mustache. Yeah. No, it's him in khakis. <laughs> Which is glorious. It's a great... It, the khakis and the mustache. I'm going to be honest. I do have a mug that says, be curious, not judgmental, because yeah. of Ted Lasso. <laughs> Which, oh God, it was absolutely one of my favorite. Haley, I think you told me to pick an episode because I'm obviously going to do this as soon as I, I can. And that was the one I, I'd pick too. Because that, yes, just 
this feels so simple, but it was a great line that, as all of Ted Lasso was delivered, great. But it's not reality TV. We're, we're no, going to say that. No, reality TV podcast. is garbage, <laughs> and everyone says they hate it. But here's the thing. You don't fucking hate it. You love it. Everyone loves, like, it's like the people are like, I don't like gossip. Oh, fuck you. Yes, you do. <laughs> like, <laughs> everyone loves gossip. You love gossip. Like, you want to <laughs> pretend you're above gossip. You want to pretend you're better than reality TV, but you're not. <laughs> So what are the shows that you both are watching? Reality-wise? Yes. Oh, I don't watch reality TV. Oh, no. I'm outing myself. Okay, wait. (laughs) I loved reality TV growing up, and I watched it probably well until, like, 2015, 2016. But by that point, I, like, there was nothing left to offer. Like, I loved Room Raiders and Next and Boiling Point and American Idol and, like, the competition or, like, plot-based reality TV. I don't want to watch other people live their lives. Like, I'm already (laughs) living a reality i don't want to get dp'd by a second reality like i've had enough Haley, the the setup you just did to out me is like (laughs) is if like your topic was hardcore porn and you just let me just like go off on a tangent for 20 minutes and then we're like so Haley, what are you watching you're like oh no i'm morally against this entire thing you're a fucking pervert Morally against it. This was a brutal <laughs> setup for that drop. Oh, but I, I love the topic. I think it's such an interesting topic. And I truly, I consumed, it was formative to me. Like it was so formative when I was growing up, but I just got to a point where I was like, most everything is almost all dating shows now. And like the shows that I loved, like even like Amazing Race and Survivor, they're in their like 30th seasons. I know what happens at this point. I don't want to get more emotionally invested in another group of people who are going to leave me. I'm like that class <laughs> the gang who are going to be there for season two. The Diamond Dogs are there forever. Yeah. The Diamond Dogs. Yes. I, I think that's one of the things with, with reality, though, is that it is just the perfect portent for projection <laughs> where it's just like, no, I'm going to get attached and they're going to be gone like everybody else. Or <laughs> it's the exact opposite where it's like, this is what I'm dealing with in my life. And these people are so much worse than me <laughs> that I can have them out here as a distance as this like, you know, comparative point of, well, at least I'm not that guy. Do you remember how Veep said they were going off air because they couldn't make up something more ridiculous than reality? That's yeah. like the point where I was also like, I can't watch reality TV anymore because reality is becoming so unbelievable that I'm going to lose touch. I'm I'm not going to know what the real world I'm is. I'm going to attach, uh, attack this from a different angle than Andrew. Because Andrew, <laughs> you're saying you, you watch it because you're like, I'm better than these people and that makes me feel good about myself, which is fair. That seems to be like a big part of the, the reality TV show watching experience. I watch it and go, man, I wish... I could turn off the part of my brain that allowed me to not be like these people. Yeah. Like, I wish. These are the happiest motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life because they're able to turn off the part of their brain that feels like shame, that knows that, like, their parents are, like, like all of them, like, are just like, I love my mom and dad. I'm like, your parents are alive and you're doing these things? Like, that's insane to me. Like, if I, I wish I could just be so carefree, hot, and dumb. And that's why I watch these shows. Like, yeah, I feel better. Like, I feel better than them in air quotes. But like, I wish I wasn't. I wish I was in that house just chain smoking cigarettes and being like, you talk to that bird over there. Like, that would be that's amazing. I wish I wish I could be that. I'm not. I'll never be that. But like, there's a part of me that wants to be in a beautiful house with beautiful people just being dumb as hell and getting handed my bottle of whiskey that I'm contractually obligated to drink for that night. 
right. And I think there is that masochistic side to it as well, where you're watching someone terrible and so dumb that has $10 million and you just keep thinking you should not have this. And also I should, this isn't this, we should clearly be switching places and you keep watching and just being like, how, how is this something you have? Andrew, I'm going to be honest. If I filmed their day and then I filmed your day, do you think that you are doing things that are worth the amount of money that they're making? Like, are you making the, the same level? Like, yeah, you're smarter. You're a better person, Andrew. Am I going to be able to watch your day and just go, I got my $10 million worth? <laughs> Well, I was really thinking more Kardashians who were given the money because of dads. But you're right. In terms of the reality show, look, if you watched my day to day and for the past week, you saw me sitting on a computer researching reality shows. <laughs> no, nobody's going to pay to see this. Every once in a while, I'd look up and go, oh, that's really interesting. That, <laughs> that, that was the most exciting thing you'd see from me. You spilled your whiskey. That was pretty exciting. I did. That, yeah. that was great. That was how we started the show. <laughs> That was a good plot point. Yeah. Andrew, the fact that you're just drinking whiskey straight, just like during this podcast, is been there, like there was there was ice. <laughs> <laughs> you keep saying that like that's a mixer. I, I, I feel like yeah, but the, the, the lack of other mixers isn't like a preference. It's just laziness. <laughs> I was wondering how you had me as your co-host for this long, Andrew, and I realize it's because you've been nursing a light buzz every time we've interacted for the past year. <laughs> Honestly, it is dependent on how soon I finish the research before recording. If I finish the day before, I'm like, oh, I'm good. If I finish the hour before recording, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm exhausted. I need a drink before I dive back into this. <laughs> when you've driven him to drink, how do you feel about this? Yeah. <laughs> I did it to my parents and I did it to my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> when, by the way, hopped on today is like, sorry, I just got back from the gym. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I have, you know, more ice. So I think this is about equivalent. <laughs> I watered it down. So that's the same as you getting in shape over the past 10 months. <laughs> we probably drink equal amounts of water today. You with your right. ice. <laughs> yeah. You basically had a glass of water. Yeah. There we go. So, all right. Back to reality shows. Let, let's see some of the history behind this, too, because this did have a weird history in part because the term is a little ambiguous. There's some debate as to the first reality show, depending on what you consider a reality show to be, because the first shows featuring unscripted dialogue by non-actors were game shows. Uh, Spelling Bee was the first in 1938 on the BBC, but this was 15 minutes long and ran monthly for just five episodes. And it was like, that was a success. <laughs> I mean, this did still- Was it like speed spelling at the audience? Like 15 minutes? It, it, was, it was like a, a real- Spelling bee because most of these were, were came from radio shows. The early game shows were were radio contest shows before this, and then the fifteen minutes. I guess it's just you start with hard words, so it, it was like, oh, okay, well they can't spell that. So I'll just say, <laughs> no five episodes released monthly. That's a major hit in the BBC like kind of canon to this day. I know with BBC standards, it took like four years to get that many episodes of Sherlock. You know, that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a huge success. <laughs> then you've got Truth or Consequences was the first in a longer and more frequent format preparing in 1940 in America. Outside of game shows, you had Candid Camera in 1948. But these were still contrived situations. An unsuspecting person was thrown into. And if, if you're not familiar, it's a hidden camera show. Something weird happens. There are cameras. And at the end, they pointed the cameras and say, you're on candid camera. It was very exciting in 1948. <laughs> well, yeah, but also if you're getting tricked by the hidden cameras of 1948, you deserve to be <laughs> pranked. <laughs> 
It's just that massive guy in a boat with a camera as big as he is. It's like, yeah, man, we all saw the camera. You had to pause for 20 minutes to light a flashbulb. The camera's it. just making noises like, you got the director in that old timey hat with the microphone without any electronics in it. So that was candid camera. <laughs> you also had Contest Miss America pageant first aired in, on TV in 1954. But at this point in the 50s, the reality genre really took off in the form of quiz shows. 21, the $64,000 question, what's my line to tell the truth, were all wildly successful. With the latter two introducing the elements of a celebrity panel, which become a standard and led to game shows like you know Hollywood Squares and Password. So the problem was giveaway shows had been previously very successful where random people were called and asked questions to win prizes. And... The large prizes and level of drama, because, you know, anyone could be called, made them very popular. So the FCC tried to ban them in 1949, saying it was a form of illegal lottery. <laughs> so I think it's on every episode, because we do a golden age of Hollywood with James Urbaniak. We have Moses Storm talking about the history of TV. And at some point, something good is happening. And the FCC is like, we got to stop that shit now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Are you giving away free money to people? It's just like, yeah. fuck you. <laughs> They're like, you can't do that. That's our job. And we refuse <laughs> we should be taking care of our citizens and we fucking won't yeah <laughs> so when i was reading over these notes i couldn't stop thinking about the one named the sixty-four thousand dollar question because a that's a shit ton of money back then and two what kind of question is worth sixty-four thousand dollars? and three how did they get to that number like how was sixty-four thousand the right the perfect amount I'm, i can answer number two the sixty-four thousand dollar <laughs> question would definitely be the last question of the episode, yes. if I had to guess. It's like, who wants to be a millionaire? You climb up to $64,000, but you're right. The amount is so specific that they're probably just like, all right, for $12.87. It started at 1000 and doubled each round. So it's one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, sixty-four. Okay, all right, that adds. I up. like math for the you record. You both look so skeptical. Like, 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 I need a calculator to prove this. It was just multiplying by two, but like a lot in a row. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that really quick, Andrew. You didn't have to show off. We can do it too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Andrew, getting drunk and doing math just to show off how great his brain is. <laughs> <laughs> he could never be on reality TV. <laughs> And, and you're right, Haley, this was a lot of money. This was about equivalent to $600,000 today. You know, before this, you could win a refrigerator. <laughs> that was pretty much it. And in fact, the target before this was very much housewives, even had the queen for a day where it was, you know, they're, they're trying to boost the housewife uh, mentality around here because it's the, the fucking 50s. Uh, <laughs> Stay at home. We might give you a fridge. Right. Yeah, these, these would air during the day, wouldn't it? Like, it would be like, hey, ladies, guess what? We're sponsored by Sears and you can buy these Sears products. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, some of these were primetime, though. They, these were really popular shows. But yeah, that sponsorship, this was the other thing that very soon switched to commercials uh, <laughs> because of more lawsuits in the FCC. So this really worked. They boosted viewership and they also used things that, that are still around today. The dramatic lighting, the theme music, isolation booths, things that, and even dramatic close-ups of the audience waiting to have someone answer. Stuff that's used today to, to create a big sense of drama. So you would ask what kind of question could be worth this. The $64,000 question was you had an average person come in and they would compete against someone who was an expert in their field. So one of the 
most famous of this, if not the famous, was Joyce Brothers, the now famous psychologist. But this was also a period where if you were successful on game shows, you could become a star. <laughs> this was, if you were good at this, you were beloved. So Joyce Brothers comes on to talk and she knows that she's gonna have a better chance against, you know, if as like a novelty contestant. So she goes on to talk about boxing. She's also incredibly smart. And the person that worked with her said basically an eidetic memory that she could read a page and recite every number on the page. So she read 20 encyclopedias on boxing to prepare for this show. And she won. She did great. This was 1955. And uh, some of the questions that that asked here included, what were the gloves of Roman gladiators in the Colosseum called? Cestus, go on. <laughs> I'm so, you sent me note? the notes. You sent me the notes, Andrew, and you just- I'm so impressed for half a second. You looked at me with wonder in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I really did. I was like- <laughs> It was there. I actually, I looked back and I was like, oh, wait, are Wen's eyes on the screen? If I can see him in the camera, I am so impressed. <laughs> I'm just, a, I'm an expert in ancient Roman boxing. <laughs> I, I was very impressed though. And what was the name of the heavy, heavyweight champion of England who taught a famous poet the art of boxing? This is John Gentleman Jackson and the poet was Lord Byron. So these are tough questions. You know, these these are, are really challenging and Joyce Brothers is just very smart and knew how to prepare for this. I feel like it's silly to actually tell somebody the topic beforehand. Like if the whole point is just like, we're going to bring in a non-expert on a topic and then be like, by the way, the topic is boxing and you have three weeks. It's like, yeah, I'll become an expert in boxing by then. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, if you told me to become an expert in boxing, there is very little chance I'm going to look up Cestus. You know, the the depth of what you decide is relevant. In fact, this was what led to the scandal because she won in 1955. And this was also when they kind of introduced the concept of returning champion. She comes back in 1957 and these are stretched out over weeks and she continues winning and the ratings aren't great and they don't like that they consider this superficial knowledge and it's like dude all of this is this is how you design your show if she's not one of the boxers it's superficial knowledge so they started adding in questions about referees to try and trip her up and she still won she still won to the top question got all 64 000. the ratings were low because they hate to see women win i mean yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah people were revolting in about a man's sport they were like she's not cleaning get this off my screen <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, after this, she's given her own TV show and, and she's obviously works as an advice columnist. Like you became famous from this. And what happened was they they realized quickly that there were audience favorites. So they started rigging the pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. The game shows, one of the, the big ones was in 21 because their first episode was 
pretty much a flop, largely due to Wen's strategy of not giving the contestants the topic. (laughs) (laughs) And they didn't know the answers. And it was like, well, you just watched a game show of everyone get everything wrong. That's not fun. (laughs) So Geritol is their sponsor. And they came back and says, look, if that ever happens again, we're pulling out. So they said, all right, fine. We're just gonna, we're gonna stage all of this. So they get this guy, Herb Stemple, who's coached by producer Dan Enright. And along with giving him the answers, they also dress him. They told him what to say, went to pause, went to wipe sweat off his brow. And they made him this nerdy antagonist and then had him win. This is definitely the beginnings of reality TV shows. They're just like, you're the villain. And then you're about to introduce the good guy, right? Exactly. Because at this stage, you you also have them returning champions. In 21, you'd come back and play the champion. So they introduced Charles Van Doren, who is this clean cut, handsome guy. He's a college professor at Columbia and of this famously intellectual family with a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, uncle and father and novelist mother. And Van Doren won and continued winning, eventually getting 129000 in prize money, almost $1.2 in today's money. And when he eventually lost, he'd already been featured on other shows and held up as an icon for Cold War Americans. Like, I mean, this was insane, the level to which they pushed this. And he was offered a three-year contract with NBC for $150,000 as a cultural correspondent for today. But in exchange for losing to Van Doren, Stemple was told by Enright he'd be given a high-salary job at the network. And Enright never followed through, so Stemple just went to the press and said, hey, by the way, they're rigging these game shows that you've got everyone in America watching every single night. But they couldn't corroborate this at first. They they couldn't actually print this because they didn't have enough evidence until this kind of kept happening. And a contestant on CBS's Dotto told the Manhattan DA he had discovered materials indicating a champion had been given the answers. With enough evidence, Stemple's story made it to print. And they bring out a grand jury and 150 witnesses in Manhattan. This eventually makes it to Congress to investigate the cheating. The thing is, none of this is illegal. The only thing that's illegal is instead of saying we did it, they lie to Congress. <laughs> Yeah. So now you've got all these people implicated for perjury and they couldn't prove it except for James Steingrass, a former contestant. He had been given the answers and mailed them to himself with, you know, registered dates before the episode came on to show proof that he was given the questions and answers in advance. So at that point, it was just like, oh, we're fucking screwed then. <laughs> okay, fucking narc. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're just like, hey, you want to win money on our money show? And he's like, yeah, let me just first rat you out to the government. <laughs> See, I think he was looking for two bags. He was going to win the show and be on the government's good side. Oh. I think he was looking at tax evasion. He was plotting. He was like, all right, so I do this for the government. I keep all my money. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I do one for you and one for (laughs) Snodgrass over here. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I went darker. I assumed he was trying to get the money and then knew they would eventually have him lose. So had blackmail material after he lost. (laughs) Look at that. And that's the beautiful perspectives of art. It's different to each viewer. (laughs) Andrew, this is why you're so intelligent that you cannot be a reality TV show star. This is, (laughs) this is why you are in fact better than all these people on television. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Look, that should be if the you're title. Gonna cheat, you got to be prepared in case it goes wrong. <laughs> so th- this came out as you know a huge scandal. People really stopped watching these. Van Doren loses his job. He eventually starts working as a vice president for Encyclopedia Britannica. And in 1963, Merv Griffin, who we know as a host and producer, he was upset. Quiz shows had been abandoned by the networks. He told his wife Julianne that the public suspected that networks simply gave contestants the answers. And she said, why don't you give them the answers? And uh, Merv said there wouldn't be enough tension. And she said, why not take money away? That'll put them in jeopardy. And that was it. That was just completely changed the game in this conversation. Bullshit. That's how that went down. That's where Andrew would have looked into the camera. If yeah. we were like, if this was being recorded for film it, and that's, 
Jeopardy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Merv, that would put everyone in Jeopardy. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. It's a dumb name for a show if that's not the backstory. <laughs> it's true. What if it's entirely unrelated? Like, it just has no connection at all. Right. It was like, it was just, there happened to be a producer and he named his dog Jeopardy. He's like, fuck it. We're putting that in. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love that the guy got outed from NBC and lost his job and then did like a nice dainty little ski daddle over to being the vice president of Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> like they were like, this man's a cheater. But you know what? The encyclopedia will take him. <laughs> and even shortly before that, he went on the run to avoid <laughs> testifying in front of Congress. And the encyclopedia is like, you know what? Still is. That doesn't like, sound like good guy Charles Van Doren, the protagonist of the $64,000 <laughs> question. You mean Chuck VD? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chuck VD would do that. Chuck VD would. Oh, a quick side story here, just because I like that Juliet had to push for this, because supposedly they came up with this on a plane where Merv Griffin is complaining about it. And she said, why not just give him the answers in? And he says, well, that's not going to work. How could that work? And she said, 5,280. And he said, feet in a mile. She said, 221B Baker Street. And he, he said, oh, it's Sherlock Holmes's address. And and that was it. It was just Julianne was smarter than Merv Griffin and, and got him locked in on this immediately. Shouldn't have been a woman back then. She would have made a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You should tell that. Shouldn't have been a woman. Wrong time. <laughs> yeah. Look, I can give great advice to past people. I'm very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> You should see the advice I give past Win. He is, he would be a genius. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have majored in musical theater if I could give advice to past Win. Oh yeah, what what would past, with the insight you have now, what would past Win have majored in? Not musical theater, Andrew. Yeah. That's the best <laughs> advice I could give him. <laughs> Fucking anything else, dude. Just, <laughs> just something that makes money. What about a reality show of like college kids just realizing that they've majored in the wrong thing? Like that's just it. That's just the moment. Like you follow them around until you catch the moment where they're sitting at their computer writing a paper and they're like oh fuck yeah. <laughs> just just boyhood i want to do the boyhood where it's just following a bunch of musical theater majors and checking in with them every year until they like it's just like and all of a sudden we're at, at a real estate office and they just look at me and they're just like fuck are we recording this today god damn it yeah <laughs> I, I guarantee you, if we ever get time travel, they have that whole no interacting with past selves for like a week. And then it's immediately a reality show of just people going back to their past selves and being like, you fucked up so bad, man. You got to <laughs> stop this right now. Look, look, I one week before people start giving themselves past advice, two weeks before people start banging themselves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agreed at a very normal pace. <laughs> <laughs> Look, technically, this is just masturbation, all right? Yeah. <laughs> extreme masturbation, if you Ex will. Oh, it's yeah. extreme. Our new reality show is called Extreme Masturbation. It can only air in the BBC. <laughs> yep. <It's, laughs> I, yeah, I mean, honestly, there are countries where it's like, that's probably, that probably exists. <laughs> Once we get into Japanese game shows, it's, it's going to be like a, that's a whole different world. Perfect. Sorry. I sidetracked. I sidetracked. Andrew, yeah. proceed. <laughs> so basically at this point, you're getting to the end of the 60s. Lyndon Johnson signed the Public Broadcasting Act of 67, which eventually led to the formation of NPR and PBS. And the benefit here was that other stations couldn't really take a risk because after the, the 
cheating scene with game shows, they didn't want so much outside influence of one company sponsoring an entire show. So they instead sold ad time, which is how we ended up with commercials instead of an actor turning to the camera and saying Geritol, which was how it had been done. And actually they would often do it in character, which was terrifying to be watching Lassie and then have Timmy's mom just turn to the camera and say, I give Timmy Ovaltine. And I was like, all right, man, he's he's still trapped in the well. <laughs> Are we really going to pause for this? <laughs> Marlboro cigarettes. Yeah. The, o- the only cigarette recommended by your doctor. Oh, I miss those old time cigarette ads. It's like a mother with a baby on her hip blowing smoke in its face. And it's like for the kid and me. <laughs> God. <laughs> no, old time ads were something else too, because again, this was a relatively new world. So it was basically like, can we just, can we just lie? <laughs> I think we can just say whatever we want. Right. <laughs> And everyone's like, I, I guess <laughs> it was like whiskey, <laughs> perfect to drink when you're depressed from a long day of murdering people. Okay. Side note, side note about another podcast, but yeah. <laughs> I re-listened to Conan O'Brien interviewing Timothy Oliphant on his podcast and all Timothy Oliphant does that entire time is do ads for things he wasn't asked to do ads for. And it's amazing. <laughs> Weird Timothy Oliphant plug, but there you go. Anyway, yeah. so. Tell us about An American Family, which aired on PBS from January to March of 1973, Andrew. Yeah. So this was was really the first introduction of more like a modern reality show, but it's also a bit more like a documentary because the idea behind this is let's show an average American family and show that all of the struggles you are probably going through are real. And this is during a time period when every sitcom on TV is the opposite. It's everything works out perfectly. It's wrapped up in a bow in 21 minutes. And and, you know, everyone's fine. And this was a family that he actually didn't know anything was wrong with him. He signed on and just kind of banked that, yeah, every family is going to go wrong at some point. So they have the parents start going through a divorce. Their son, Lance, bravely refuses to hide his homosexuality, which is, you know, amazing in 1973, knowing you're being filmed. And and he's he's out and proud. But obviously, this is tough for the family as as, as well uh, in, in an area that wouldn't accept it. Apparently, you know, they wouldn't. Lance fucking rules. Big Lance fan I know. Love, we love, love Lance. Lance. He's killing it. And that young boy eventually grew up to be Lance Bass. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say that I love that his name was Lance Loud and he was openly gay? That, that's amazing. <laughs> that sounds like a first pass of a gay character you would write in 1973. <laughs> that wait, I never even Googled him. How is Lance Loud doing now? I'm so worried. I'm, gonna I'm find scared out to died. look. Yeah. He's going to be like, let's face Yeah. Um. He's, he died. <laughs> He did. He died. Yeah. He. Yeah. Andrew, he I knew exactly how that was going to end. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, oh, yeah, he was finishing up boyhood in the 70s. And then he was openly gay in the and he's dead. Like that was exactly how that was always going to go. And it was always going to bum me out, which is why I didn't look it up. <laughs> All right. He did briefly regroup his band called the Mumps. Uh, this was pre-death, by the way, for anyone wondering. Lance fucking rules so much. I know. He, I mean, look, we're a popular band on the Max's Kansas City and CBGB circuit. God, Lance oh, just killing it. Uh, he wrote a monthly column in the influential rock scene magazine, reported on his favorite artists and covered unlikely junkets. Okay. Journalism. He worked in journalism. Jesus. He would have loved podcasts. Lance yeah. Loud in the Mumps. If I, could, I would go to a Lance Loud in the Mumps concert today. COVID yeah. be damned. COVID be damned. But the, the Loud family, I mean, this 
this was they had to sign off on every episode and and they did they they saw the, the cuts they saw the takes and they approved but then after it came out the reviewers didn't really like the loud family they thought they were shallow and at this point they said that stuff had been staged which seemed kind of unlikely because again they a- approved all of this and they, they thought they were or at least claim that they were lied to. So this only ran for 12 episodes, but it was still the beginning of of the idea of reality television and, and showing a real life. They just realized they had to combine this with the part where they cheated from game shows. <laughs> they, they can't do it where it's actually what you actually experience. Nobody wants to see that. We're, we're, we have that. I can look at a mirror and get that. I want to see a crazy person on TV. I'm sorry, we might have to cut this. Nathan, you might have to cut this because this is a million dollar idea. Why is there not a Lance Loud television show? I would watch <laughs> that shit for seven seasons oh my are you telling me the first reality tv star was an openly gay teen who went on to become a rock star and journalist i would watch a million episodes of this fx get on it ryan murphy you can be involved but not heavily my favorite detail is that like he that the father had all like they all signed off on it after every episode they reviewed the footage and then they're okay and then the father turned around and he's like i didn't review this footage i did not sign off on this because that's how i would do reality TV. I would claim no relation to it and know everything right. that happened. Yes, a thousand percent. I'm, I'm still on this now. They have a they made de- a death in an American family featuring some of his memorial, including tributes by his many friends. A rendition of Over the Rainbow was sung by Rufus Wainwright, Loud's friend, while accompanied. I know, Wen's gasp here. I love R- Rufus Wainwright. That is insane. God, Lance Loud. I'm going to start producing this, this show. I, yeah. I don't know what else to say. I want to know everything about Lance Loud now. I, this is the Lance Loud episode. Yeah. We're talking about Lance Loud for the rest of the day. He's friends with Rufus Wainwright? Jesus Christ, this guy rules so hard. God, they did a, a, a documentary, Lance Loud, A Death in the American Family, depicting his physical decline. He had uh, he had HIV. And I mean, yeah, he signed on for more documentaries here to get this out here, tell his story. God, fucking Lance Loud, we love you so much. God If you're hearing it, this I in heaven, Lance we love you. Yeah, yeah. God damn, I'm such a Lance like god fuck i love it okay sorry proceed yeah. i'm just i'm in love i'm in love with lance loud and i know he's been dead for years yeah god we learned about this too late but yeah all right so after this everyone go live listen to the mumps we're gonna do that <laughs> All right. Look, the CD booklets contain affectionate tributes from the members of the Cramp, Sparks, R.E.M., Dramarama, Blondie, the Go-Go's, Paul Rubens, Rufus Wainwright. This is amazing. This guy just forced dumped rock and roll. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. God damn. God damn you, Lance Loud. God damn you. I'm only finding out about you at 29 years old when I should have been telling everyone about you my entire life. (laughs) You'll be thinking about this when you go to bed tonight. I am. This is the most amazing thing. I'm not being like, no, I understand how like someone could be like, oh, this guy's like really like laying it on thick right now. I know I am because this guy fucking rules. I love this. Well, and they they weren't apparently too successful in their time, but that list I just gave was uh, they did a, a two compilations of their music. This was a two disc compilation. How I see the world in 2005 with tributes from all of these bands so god you know lance <laughs> the mumps along with santa this wait okay the mumps along with santa barbara high school friend uh christian hoffman rob dupre later of the iggy pop band <laughs> fuck you <laughs> high school alumnus jd doherty later of the patty smith group and the church <laughs> the mumps god they really had it this this mumps should have been bigger all right lance god. loud thank you so oh. much 
So let, let's skip ahead a bit because this could easily be all Lance Loud now. When they start getting to modern TV, because a big issue here is that film is expensive. And as everyone who watches reality TV knows, they film all of it. They've got multiple cameras, multiple people filming like 24 hours a day. So the videotapes were introduced in the 70s, but editing them is incredibly hard uh, and is so time consuming. At that point, you might as well just hire writers to do a scripted show. So in 1989, computer-based non-linear editing systems were made for video. Suddenly they're, they're able to cut this together much faster. 1988, there had been a Writers Guild strike, so they need to fill the time. They don't want to pay writers, and they introduced cops, which if you yeah. when has commentary immediately. Yeah, guys, if you want to go listen back to our uh, Mohanad uh, El Shiki episode talking about uh, police procedurals and, and cop shows, we do a lot of time hating on, on the show Cops for good reason. So, <laughs> yeah, that show's fucking garbage. It's racially biased, and it has been uh, used as a way to justify police brutality in America for a long time. Fuck the show Cops. I hate it as much as I love Lance Loud. Yeah. That's so perfect. Fuck the show cops and also actual cops. I mean, yeah, we're all in on this one. (laughs) So this is introduced to the new world because you have uh, Numer 28 aired on Dutch television in 1991, which is the real world. It's it's the entire premise of the real world, but the real world is is released in 1992 and claims it had nothing to do with Numer 28 and that they were in fact inspired by an American family that the the show was just talking about. So it's it's just a direct ripoff of the Dutch TV show. You also have Expedition Robinson, first aired in Sweden in 1997, which became Survivor in all the other countries. But here it was, you know, licensed to other countries. They didn't just rip off the idea. So this was a huge boom for the industry. You start seeing redecoration and beauty shows, dating reality shows, dating game shows have been around since 1965 with the dating game. And also competition shows have previously been based on kind of random stuff. It was like, hey, can you survive? We're going to throw some weird challenges at you that you don't know what. Might be fear, fear factor. You might have to eat a scorpion. Who knows if you're good at this? But then they start doing skill-based reality shows. They have American Idol. They have Top Chef. They bring in people who are really good at the one thing they do best and have them competing, which is fantastic. These are, I, I was not a big fan of American Idol, but British Bake Off, I am so all in on <laughs> I love the wholesomeness of Great British Bake Off. It is the one reality show that I will absolutely consistently watch. American Idol was actually like my first love with reality TV. And also like how I knew my parents were getting divorced because like (laughs) I loved American Idol so much. And then one night I got grounded for like not practicing my violin or something. And both of my parents separately came into my room and said, you can watch American Idol tonight, but don't tell your other parent. (laughs) And and I was like seven. I was like, all right, well, so this this isn't going well in the future. (laughs) Cool, cool. I'm going to file this away. All right. Thank you, American Idol, for helping Haley get through her parents' divorce and also unintentionally telling her about it. (laughs) Yes. Hey, I appreciate the heads up. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So reality TV was never a big thing for me, but there were some that I very much enjoyed. And they were mostly the ones of of that, the, the, the competition shows where you have someone doing something they do well and just enjoying it. Um, but they also realized they had drama from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and all the shows where people fight. And they thought, how about we combine <laughs> the awfulness with the good stuff? And you get stuff like Hell's Kitchen, where it's like, what if we have people that are great at cooking, but just a guy fucking screaming at them until they cry? <laughs> And it was like, cool, they could probably cook better if he's not screaming at them. And it was like, well, it's too late, man. We already found the guy that'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) We hired the screaming guy already. You should have told us. Yeah. (laughs) He's already in character and he's not done screaming. (laughs) We hired cooking. 
fucking Simon Cowell was basically all Gordon Ramsay was hired to be. And also, you know what? They did like the kids kitchen one and he's so nice to them, showing that he's clearly capable of it. So he's just choosing to scream at all of them. Like, it's not like it's better if he's incapable of stopping himself. Either way, that's a problem for a different reason. But it just highlighted how deliberate this choice was of let's just let's just hire the yelly guy. <laughs> but it, it ups the stakes of these shows. And they, it did uh, American shows obviously have a lot more of that aspect of drama and betrayal. British Bake Off, obviously, I love that it's just they're getting close on time. So they run over and help each other. I like the best of humanity aspect of it. And the most dramatic moment of the show was when someone took someone else's ice cream out and forgot to put it away. And it was this, people just blew up. What if this was deliberate? It was out out of the freezer for like four minutes. And it was the most dramatic moment in Great British Bake Off history. This was talked about for years. (laughs) Did you almost quit the show? Because you're like, this is too mean. (laughs) (laughs) It was honestly the, the the issue was that she didn't apologize well enough was was I, th- I think what what led to this and they they suspected that like betrayal but it was like dude there it's 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 okay uh, it probably just forgot it because she's like seventy she took it out of the freezer and forgot <laughs> so but no we also talked about some of these other British shows because they have that side of the spectrum which is very un-American but they also have the. <laughs> The stuff that is so much more intense enough, stuff that's like, there is no way this would be shown on American TV. What were some of these ones that were your favorites here? I mean, Love Island is is fantastic Clearly. garbage. It is. It's yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so I, I had been avoiding this show uh, just because it's just like, I was like, do I really want to add more of that to my diet? Uh, should I really be doing this to my own brain and soul? And then I started it and it turns out you can do anything on British television. They don't give a <laughs> Fuck. Like they're saying the C word. They're just chain smoking and they're just like just saying horrible things to one another. And I love it. I love it so goddamn much. Yeah. Is it so unfiltered? And like one of my favorite ones that I ever watched was the Geordie Shore, which is the uh the Welsh the Welsh remake of the Jersey Shore. And if you watch right. it, it's like the Jersey Shore if they didn't blur out anything or censor any of the things they say, except you can't understand what they're saying, kind of like the Jersey Shore. Right. <laughs> there's also a show called Naked Attraction where there's one person who's like supposed to choose somebody to be on a date and then they just start with like a people in a row and then you just see feet and then a little bit later you see some knees and it just keeps going and you're like surely they're gonna blur this but they don't blur it they just slowly go up and up well this person is eliminating people based on like fuck those toes those are some bullshit knees you got there like just like until finally there's just a full naked person standing there and it's just two people and the contestant has to look at these two naked human beings on national television and deny one the act of love (laughs) you'd show for feet people though they just make the choice right away like they just see the first part and they're like okay i'm I'm sold those i got it boom (laughs) those feet right there the others are bullshit horrible arches awful nail beds that one i'm gonna take those piggies to the market let's go (laughs) (laughs) There's just 
four minute episodes of foot fetish guys and they quit, like the producers in the background like oh god we made such a mistake we just just stretch stretch this is just like when people didn't know the answers on quiz shows we can't let this happen again Mm-mm. all the sponsors are pulling out yeah, not just, in a good way sponsors are like if that ever happens again I'm fucking out of here you won't hear Marlboro cigarettes from us ever again I actually thought of a show I watched contemporarily that you would also like I think because it's kind of like Great British Bake Off but it's more it's American it's nailed it with Nicole Byer and I love that show because it is very like kind like even when they're being mean and they're like you can't make anything to save your life but the frosting was okay and I need like that's the kind of support I'm looking for it's nailed it is very I mean Nicole Byer is is so fantastic and I used to watch Jacques Therese uh, growing up. I mean, I've been cooking like seriously since I was 10. Went and took classes at the Culinary Institute because I lived in upstate New York. Oh yeah, when is surprised by this. What? I just don't cook for you when. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. You don't. And now and now it's going to be a point of contention. Right. <laughs> so I used to watch Jacques Torres because he's amazing with chocolate. and it, But it's one of those things where he does it and he makes it look so easy. And then you take the chocolate and you're like, what? I mean, I can melt it. And then it can be a big ball again. <laughs> if you want me to do the ball of chocolate, I could do that. But his is, you know, glistening and hollow and beautiful. So I, I love Jacques Torres. Nailed it. I, I didn't get into as much because I want to see it, that same like 15 minute intense competition, but with someone that can actually do it. <laughs> but I do like how, you know, nice and sweet they are as this this person makes just an absolutely disgusting cookie that nobody should have to eat. Disgusting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And they do have some great comedian guests on too. They had Maya Rudolph, who was who was fantastic. Yeah, I love Maya Rudolph. Wait, it sounds like we're all kind of cool with reality TV shows. There, it sounds like we're good with it. I mean, it's for the most part. This is a I love that intro. When that's right. When so far we're good with it. Well, Haley, I gotta ask. And here's where we all turn to the camera, guys. Imagine all three of us good-looking people looking right at you. Where this is said, where did it go wrong? <laughs> Well, I think specifically it went wrong in 2007. That's just my general estimate. I feel like that year was a terrible year. It was the year Keeping Up with the Kardashians began. And it was the year that Kid Nation was first aired, which is a a modern reality take on Lord of the Flies. So if you've ever read that book, it's like, what happens if we tried this for real? And that's what they did with uh, like 40 kids. And like the same thing happens because you can't set kids loose in the wild and expect them to build society. So so you're saying they took 40 kids and where did they place them? They didn't place them in a jungle, correct? No, it was like an old ghost or it was an old Western town. So like they could rehabilitate it. There was still some like structures for them to sleep in and stuff. Right, because you know who's great at construction is children. You know who can really gentrify this neighborhood? A bunch of nine-year-olds. I mean, tell me how many times you've passed a construction site and not seen a bunch of kids working. Uh, Zero for me. Zero. Just adorable hard hats and absolutely no medical attention for for all of the inevitable nail gun fight injuries. Think about those waivers. Think about how much, how thick those waivers must have been. Think about how shitty of a kid, like how shitty of a parent are you? Right. It's not like the kid could sign the waivers. That had to be the parent. Also, like at that age, I remember just throwing rocks at my friend. (laughs) 
This was a reasonable activity in the mind of a 10-year-old child. And now they're expecting him to go build a town. <laughs> like, I get nervous when I see hot 22-year-olds. I'm like, who let them do this? But like, <laughs> nine? Like, nine-year-olds? And they're just like, make a town. <laughs> I hope you know how to kill a chicken. It's pretty easy right. when you just, like, cut the head off and then you cook it on a spit. A spit is a thing over open flames where you just roast a meat that you've killed. And the kids are like, all right. And their Elmo notebooks. They're like, okay, this sounds really good. Thank you. Elmo notebook is fantastic. I have to pull this up. These kids were ages eight to 15. Eight to 15. Basically, there is a subcategory of Kid Nation citizens who are currently going through puberty. It's just, just the show, The 100. Is just this, is this just the 100 in real life? <laughs> but on purpose. Like, yeah, there's but on eight purpose. year olds who can't take care of themselves because they're fucking eight. Right. And then you have 15 year olds who are trying to experiment with hand stuff, and that can't go on <laughs> national television, <laughs> but it's going to consume a large portion of of their waking moments is thinking right. about this. So like, what what use are they going to fucking be? They're useless on both sides of the spectrum. <laughs> this, is, this is like Mulaney's, it's like a horse watching a dog bit. Yes. <laughs> like, we, there is no way anyone here is equipped for this. You don't want to put one adult in, one person who maybe, I don't know, studied how to develop society. <laughs> just, just one. And you know what? If the kids can overtake them, fantastic. That should be the challenge. See if the kids can destroy the person who knows what they're talking about and then survive. Oh, if this is a situation where there's like one substitute teacher and the kids are destroying them <laughs> mentally over a period of a few months, I would love it. I would love it. Like they're trying to corral these kids to make a town and like they're an actual adult like responsible. I'm sure the camera people weren't just letting kids like die of staff infections and shit, but it's right. still a weird <laughs> premise for a show. And I once again can't get over the fact like, can you be imagine just being thrown out there and then they'd be like by the way you're probably gonna get your first period have fun yeah imagine like the cameraman being there not doing anything like the kid's like daddy can i have some water he's like i'm not your dad and i can't talk to you get away. <laughs> it's like a nature documentary it's like no we can't interfere if he dies he dies <laughs> it's, it's reality they're all ivan drago from rocky four andrew they're all just <laughs> also keeping up with the kardashians also, insane garbage. Yes. And I, I don't, I'm not someone who walks around just like, oh, the, the fucking Kardashian. Like, I don't hate them. I don't have like that whole kind of weird hatred that, but I also, I want, I, we recently tried to start the first episode of the first season and it is not even fun garbage. Yeah. I, my issue with, with shows like this is the the glorification of negative traits. And because this this was a, a thing here, I, I looked up some studies, some were a bit older, but in a 2007 study, one in seven UK teenagers hoped to gain fame by appearing on reality television. And not even the competition shows. It's not like I'm going to be good at this and I'll get famous because of it. It's a, it's a launch pad. It's just, if you go on reality TV, you can become famous for being the loudest, most annoying person in an industry built on loud annoying people. And you've also got the issue of the fact that the under 18 crowd is a huge consumer of this. And studies have also shown they repeat the actions they see on television in these shows. And this is largely impacting how they view life. Many are believing that this is what real life is. So the thing is, they're not wrong about it being a launch pad. Like the worst example for this is obviously Trump. It gave him so much fame and notoriety. But wait, what's the bad thing that he did? <laughs> 
was, yeah, that, that, that part Maybe of it destroyed a nation. <laughs> so, but I, I thought, well, like, okay, but this is a bit isolated. I get it. it. It gave him fame. And because of editing, they could make him look competent and powerful. And that was what people responded to. But Lotto Gurganides hosted the Georgian version of The Apprentice in 2005 and became their prime minister in 2007. Harry Harrison hosted the Finnish version from 2009 to 13 and has been a member of Finnish parliament since 2015. Like, this is consistent now. Putting someone in a fictional position of power makes people think they actually belong in power. And reality TV shows are doing the same thing. It's, I can pretend tend to be good at this thing. I bet he's actually good at that thing. It's got something I know we talked about b- before is that TikTok stars becoming stand-ups. And this was or after Vine went down becoming stand-ups. And some of them put the work in and did great. They was like, cool, we just have to find a new medium. No problem. Sucks that I lost this one. Going to get to it. But there were also a lot of them getting booked just because they had been on Vine. And this is a different skill set. You were great at Vine, but you didn't know how to do this. This is far from the most important thing. Becoming president and destroying a nation was a lot worse, but it was one I could relate to personally. <laughs> and it was just that it, the, the idea of someone being good at someone or being entertaining. You didn't have to be the best in reality TV. You had to be the person people wanted to watch the most. And even if they wanted to watch you because they hated you, hate clicks are still clicks. <laughs> you know, nobody tracks that. It's all that matters is the click. So this has done a lot of damage. And the thing is people just keep watching it. You know, people say they hate it, but so many people are watching it. Like the pandemic started and all I thought is like, okay, well, Great British Bake Off has a responsibility to do this 24 hours a day now. <laughs> we need this in our lives. <laughs> like how a Christmas story plays 24 hours on Christmas, right. but just 24 seven, like British Bake Off. We need that wholesomeness. <laughs> yeah. But like the TikTok to, or the Vine to like stand up pipeline is kind of, it's more proof of the fact that like social influence is almost as powerful as like monetary influence in our culture. Oh, yeah. And that's like how people use it. Like one of the reasons I hate the Kardashians so much is because like as a woman, they have been such bad influences on young women. Like I've watched a young girl I know like wrap her stomach in saran wrap because she saw it on the Kardashians and she's a size zero. And I'm just like, it's toxic. And they perpetuate all these myths and stuff and don't, they just don't tell the truth. Like if they were honest about how terrible they are or the things they've done, yeah. <laughs> it would be okay. Cause like that's them, that's real life. But they're like, no, everything's perfect. And there's also that whole thing where one of them had a photo of them unedited come out recently. Like mm-hmm. it was someone someone posted, I believe it was Chloe Kardashian had an unedited photo of her in a bathing suit go up. And like all of a sudden they just it becomes a scandal. It becomes a scandal and they they're fighting to get this taken offline, which of course Streisand effect. That's the only reason I know about is because they fought to get offline. And she looks fantastic. But the thing is, is like the harm that it's already done to them. Like they're they're it's doing harm to people watching it, but you know, you know they have terrible body dysmorphia just because like how could you be so afraid of a photo of you existing of you looking amazing but yet it's not touched up it's not filtered it's not it's not and i say this as someone with horrible body dysmorphia i'm I'm like i like i'm i'm not well either but i'm so i'm i've game recognized game here this is bad like it is very bad yeah and that just like continues to perpetuate the body dysmorphia too like that's the issue is that it's there's no getting better when it's continually happening and you're still fighting against like acknowledging that reality which they all are right yeah and i think the the fact that it is called like some producers have have taken to calling it unscripted dramas because it's not not reality and obviously we know 
just the impact words have, as long as we're pretending anything about this is real. And the Kardashians are one of many shows that have admitted to scripting it and to setting things up and to, to tricky editing. You know, they've, they've just said they did this. And a lot of these, these shows are doing that. And you know, that's fine. You edit scripted shows. The problem is when you say this is in any way reality and it's not in any form. And I think the problem is, is that people on reality TV are, are instantly held up as role models when their goal is just to be famous. You know, there's, there's no, which is how you get all of these celebrity reality shows where it's people that have just faded from stardom. And I understand wanting to get that back, but they're not even doing the thing they got famous for now. It's just being out there. And when stardom is the only goal or money from stardom, you can't possibly be a good influence here. You can only be some someone terrible because that's what the industry is craving right now. They want the people here that are going to be dramatic and loud and throw a drink in someone's face, which almost never happens in real life because drinks are so expensive and it's just not worth it. My friend spilled a glass of whiskey earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was trying to throw it at you through yeah. the computer one. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm the worst one. <laughs> I have never been so mad at someone that I thought, you know what? This is worth spending $12 again to get another one of these. It's like <laughs> we can just not talk and I could enjoy my drink. Oh, $12. I miss Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> right. Haley's out in LA now with her $27 beers. <laughs> so stupid. But I also like, dude, it's like not even that the so, like reality TV show, it's that they step outside their worlds too. Do you know what I mean? Like if it was one thing, if they were just on reality TV, but like the housewives, for example, they have like 10 restaurants throughout LA, like different ones of them. And like these beautiful buildings and stuff, they've gotten separate cities. And it's like, you don't deserve this. And like, same with the Kardashians. It's like, you built businesses out of this. And that's the only reason you have that business. Yeah. Well, and, and obviously the aspect of it is a whole lot easier to build a billion dollar business when you already have a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now you have your connections and you can get into every meeting that you need to get into. It's just, and it's obviously painted as, no, you saw our lives. We did this on our own. And it was like, no, we know this wasn't real. And that's the issue where it's portrayed as. And not only that, but like Robert Kardashian was a very powerful lawyer. Kim Kardashian was the personal assistant of Paris Hilton, who was famous not only from the famous Hilton hotels, but also one of the first big reality shows that I remember was The Simple Life, which everyone fucking watched. But everyone fucking watched it because it was on the heels of sexual exploitation of a young woman. Paris Hilton with the leak of her sex tape. And then like that was redone with Kim Kardashian also, who was the victim of people leaking her stuff. And it's weird that like with these kinds of shows, I have it linked in my head because of that, that like there is a sexual component of like voyeurism of something that that kind of links those things just kind of intrinsically in my head. I don't know if that's with anyone else, but like that's how the reality shows kind of came fully formed in my brain because The Simple Life was the first one that like I knew everyone watched and I only knew about it because I was a child, but I just knew there's some kind of tape about this girl and it, you know, and it's scandalous and you shouldn't watch it. And it's, it's portrayed to be voyeuristic because you've got the shows of them at night in bed and obviously there's still mics because they put mics everywhere, but they play it quietly and they put captions on the bottom as if we're hearing a secret conversation. It's it's the only time that they caption it is when they're trying to portray that this is something we shouldn't be hearing rather than turning up the volume. <laughs> and it's supposed to give you that, that idea that you're seeing something you shouldn't be seeing. And I think that is a big problem with this is, is that people feel 
entitled to see it as well because of that. And they begin to feel like they know these people that they don't. And this is obviously something that, that people on the internet have dealt with as well from TikTok and YouTube. And I, I'm sure we've all faced a degree just even on Twitter with people being far too familiar where, you know, they've, they've seen enough of us and start to think they know us rather than realizing that this was all curated. Everything that's put out there was chosen to be put out there. And I think that is ultimately the point is that if, if, if you are choosing everything people get to see, of course, they're not getting the whole story because most of our lives are very boring. <laughs> no matter what you're doing, most of your day Day is the equivalent of sitting on your bed researching reality shows. You know, hopefully something different, but it's about the same activity. Yeah, I think a lot about how like how much recording they actually have to get of these people to make them look interesting. Like you think about it, those reality shows are about like 42 minutes long yeah. and they're recording for days right. to find these interesting <laughs> bits. They're like, all right, please do something. I'm about to like call an bomb alert to your home if you don't do something interesting. <laughs> we're at an hour and nine minutes, by the way. And I feel like we're doing solid. This is a very interesting episode, but, and it's not scripted, but we know what we're going to talk about. There are so many good ways to be entertaining. So it's an unscripted drama. Right. <laughs> You're right. There are so many ways to be entertaining, which makes me realize that we have another segment to get to. In their defense, where each of us have to take a moment and try to defend this thing that we've been shitting on for, as Andrew said, an hour and in nine minutes. So yeah, we're probably going to cut some of this guy. So don't look at the time too closely. <laughs> okay. Well, not any Lance Loud material. I hope. No, we're keeping all of that shit. And that was beautiful. Lance Loud forever. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Haley, you've got first crack here in their defense. How do you defend reality TV after all of this? In their defense, I think that a lot of people who do this are genuinely trying to build themselves a better life and that they think this is probably the easiest option to do so. Like even the terrible people like the Real Housewives and the Kardashians and everything like I do think a part of their intention is that they're trying to build like a generational wealth kind of thing for their family and not that like you can do that from every reality show but I think a lot of their intentions are to continue building what they have so they can pass it down or hoard it all in this lifetime I really don't know and I don't want to defend them but here's my take (laughs) fair thank you Haley Andrew here's the thing in the, in 2019-2020 season, three different versions of 90 Day Fiance were in the top 100 most watched shows. Three different versions. And people are watching it. Like, I mean, that's absolutely insane to me, but they don't make the shows people don't watch. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important that we all get out there and watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> I hear there's a great podcast coming out about that show. That great podcast called Team Lasso coming out very soon. So yeah, look, I mean, if people want it, it's harder to fault them for making it. It's still not a good thing. People, you know, want to do a lot of terrible things for themselves. That we should enable them. But also, like, I kind of get it. <laughs> if people are going to keep doing this, who are we to say this isn't what you should be enjoying? You should be liking something more highbrow. You should be liking something with better people and better role models. I wish that people preferred that, but I like dumb shit too. I don't get to tell them what they should like. (laughs) And that's my in their defense. Fair, fair. So we talked a few episodes ago. We were talking about therapy with Jean-Marco and we're going through the notes and there was something about the the Buddhist principle of how the brain craves destruction. (laughs) Good throwback. And there's no better way to phrase how we have filtered the craving for destruction uh, that our brain just intrinsically need than to go into reality TV shows and just watch fucking train wrecks. 
watching just bad people do bad things to each other. We want to, <laughs> there's a part of you that's watching, not because you're only, like, I want to think that more people are like me, that they're watching it because they're like, there's that person, that person who's just chain smoking cigarettes and being just completely awful. There's a part of me that is that person. And I wish, <laughs> I wish I could let them out. I will never let them out because I feel shame and I have a conscience. But if I could turn that off, I would love to be just chain smoking by the pool in Love Island being a total piece of shit. That sounds like so much fun to me. I watch reality shows with my wife and we just sit there the whole time just like making decisions, doing our choose your own adventure kind of thing with reality TV. We want to be garbage. We're not ever going to be at that level. So it's fun to live vicariously through them and to be in a situation where you could say, I would do that. And it's safe. No one will ever have to know about that evil, terrible side of me that's in my brain, but it's there and I need an outlet. Yeah. It's, you know what, that one is adorable that you and your wife are doing choose your own adventure with reality shows. But no, I mean, I, I think that that is a solid point too, is that you see terrible, dumb people and they're so happy. <laughs> and you're like, if I could stop being aware, I could, I could enjoy this so much more. Have you seen Too Hot to Handle? No. What's Too Hot to Handle? I call it Fuck Island. And I call it that because it's a group. Oh, I did see the commercials for this. You knew what it was when I said Fuck Island, which is incredible. Yeah. So it's just about a group of hot people that they're dropped off at an island and like they're given one night to party and then they're like by the way anytime you have physical interaction with each other we will deduct money from this large pool of money and you get <laughs> however much is left at the end of this trip and like people will fuck themselves out of thousands and thousands of dollars oh and I love it I fucking <laughs> love it <laughs> if the American government had done that coronavirus would have like been gone away a lot quicker just given a whole pot of money and been like no physical interaction we're taking out 20 bucks every time you guys go outside yeah. <laughs> oh Haley that would no we would we would have ran out of that pot of, if they were just like you can't fuck for a year people would have blown through that money so fast just <laughs> building that deficit but you know look we're we're setting up the situations we're and we're framing it as look we put them on the island and I assume that there is horrendous tempt like I am confident I cannot have sex for whatever period of time you need me to that's fine <laughs> I watched this whole show just being like I could not fuck for a few weeks this is very just a few weeks god yeah it's just people with absolutely no impulse control and also it's not like they're there like they're there with stranger like it would take me that long to get to know somebody <laughs> I feel like, part of it. like you know what i we should have some drinks let's meet if, if this still works we can see each other afterwards we'll have a lot of money then we can go somewhere nice andrew knows all about what her dad does do we <laughs> deduct money for this that's very intimate that's very intimate the screening process was probably just like you like to fuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would be very good at that show because i could definitely just be like how much money is it? Yeah, we're not doing... No, go away. You're not allowed it's to go near me. Good <laughs> way. I did watch the first season, though, and there is one guy that they called the banker because he's just some guy who clearly didn't come from a rich family who is just, like, mad every time people, like, kiss. And he's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you guys doing? I need this money. Why are you doing it? Like, the rest of them obviously come from money. This guy does not, right. and it oh, shows. Oh, that also, I suppose it's a really good show, too, if you don't need money and just want to have sex like there is going to be no easier target then because i assume they have people there as 
this temptation that aren't in the game for money, that they're just there to have sex or something, right? I mean, it's not it's not explicitly said, but see, I'm, I'm doing a great advertisement for this show, by the way. Netflix should send me a <laughs> pile of money because I call it Fuck Island, which is what it is. And <laughs> the idea of just like a bu- like putting a few people who are not rich with a bunch of people who clearly have to be makes it like the dynamics such that some people are like, yeah, I could sacrifice $3,000 so I can hook up with somebody. And everyone who's not from a wealthy background is going to be like, are you <laughs> fucking insane? Wait, is, is it more deducted based on the level of intimacy? Yes. Okay. Wow. Well, I mean, I still feel like this is no problem at all. <laughs> I said fucking was $3,000. That's a lie. It was like in the tens of grand deduction. <laughs> I do like the idea that it's like the kinkier it is, the more they have to remove. It's like, we don't even have a name for this move, guys. I I guess that's 20000 but also don't do that. <laughs> I would be working as a human condom over time. I'd be the person who was there about the money. I would be like, I swear to God, I will sit in between you guys. You cannot fuck. I will yeah. throw my way <laughs> into your genitals to make sure that there's no penetration. Just throwing elbows the entire time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is, I mean, look, but as much as I think this is a disgusting thing for anyone to create, I am very curious now. I want to see the type of people that would lose in this game. <laughs> yes. See, it's, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm garbage. I'm garbage at my core. There's a part of me that is horrible. And that part of me lives vicariously through reality television. Well, that is a beautiful summation. I think everything we love about reality television and what we've hated about it is just the absolutely horrendous influence it had on society as well. But that doesn't mean we still can't hate watch it and, and enjoy so much. Because again, like four years ago, there were 750 shows just between 8 and 10 p.m. on television, not counting streaming services. You could watch this 24 hours a day and never run out. It's always going to be there for you guys. So that about wraps it up. Haley OC, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a delight and I learned so much. You guys are great teachers. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Our pleasure. We, you also have Brunch! Exclamation point, a comedy web series that uh, our listeners should absolutely check out and uh, your upcoming Ted Lasso podcast, which we're assuming is going to be named Team Lasso and I am very much behind it. So thank you so much for joining us, guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please uh, subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. And we have a link for our Patreon down in the show notes, which helps us keep this show going. So please go check that out. We'll be back next week. And we hope you will too. Well, I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.